0: Kia ora, and welcome to the Machinist Therapy Hotline. This is episode 24. And in this crazy world that we're currently living in, we feel like hopefully this will be a reprieve from all of that, and we'll just discuss stuff that is relevant to us right now. So let's bring in the team Tony Klauser. <laughs> I'm here. Shane Paul. Yo yo. Albert Rigzinski.
1: Um, how am I supposed to follow up Tony's intro there?
0: Just say hi.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess hi I could work, I guess.
0: And me, Jody Tuckwell in a face mask in my underpants. Love and life. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so Wait, did you just say your face pants were your underpants were your face pants? <laughs> I saw that clip you posted. <laughs> anyway, let's get on with the podcast. Let's get on
0: with the podcast.
1: Woo! Woo!
0: Well, gentlemen, here we are, episode 23, and um, yeah, the world has basically taken a massive fucking dump on itself, so let's ignore all of that stuff, because that stuff has been flogged to death by everybody, and I you know, we put out there that we wanted to talk about quoting, and let's be honest, when all of this is over, a lot of people are going to want to get back into back into the swing of things and this might be a good conversation for all of us to have i agree yeah okay so just full disclosure i am terrible at quoting (laughs) just just to let you know that if anybody out there is basically wanting total inspiration and uh and something that will make them better i'm probably not going to be able to give you sound advice but uh, i think we should discuss it anyway
1: yeah i don't know but i would say that because I think that we all have different enough environments that we work in job shop-wise or shop-wise. And we're all kind of quoting different type of stuff where uh, I think we offer some good insight on a little bit of everything. I mean, I don't know about you, Jody, but I I would probably really suck at doing the kind of quotes that you've got to do, too, uh, with the, the quantities and the scale of projects that you guys are doing. Yeah. I mean, and
0: I would be well i'm yeah i'm probably okay at mass production sort of quoting to a certain degree you know in conjunction uh, well, we'll we'll sort of get in with this but you know we, uh, you guys for example like you and tony you know you you guys are literally quoting for yourselves whereas i'm quoting as part of a team you know so i've got i've got a backup source that helps me You know, I do my portion, I talk through to the sales team, we look at materials, and then we sort of carry on from that. But you guys, you got to do the whole shebang, and I imagine that what you're doing is probably way more relevant to a lot of our listeners out there. Well, i got to say that
1: Tony and I probably shoot ourselves in the foot way more often than most people, too.
0: (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's true. I mean, we walk this line, it's like... Well, of course, we're like everybody else. We want to make some money, but then on the other thing, we want our machine spindles to be turning. So you you get caught in this fucking. Am I too cheap? Am I too high? Am I a freaking you know a high tech hoe doing it for you know way cheaper than it needs to be? And you know I got to say, if I was just to do a quick consensus on myself, I think that I'm I'm probably do shit too cheap. And you know, it's, it's hard for me because I've always competed with my my number one customer is Parker and they take all their high runners over to China. And so I had to compete with their prices that anything back. It's like you get yourself quoting like that or in a pattern. And then all of a sudden somebody from, you know, the United States has been building their product over here forever. wants you to quote something and you quote something and then they're like, well, what are you doing? Are you trying to lowball just to get in here? And I'm like, well, not really. I mean, this is the way I've been accustomed to doing it. But I mean, it's like, I don't know. I I just I'm I am I've told you guys before. For I first of all I'm a machinist, and then second of all I'm a business owner, and I've never was one to sit in the office and quote shit. I've had my lead guy or my supervisor come up to me in other shops I've worked at and said, "Hey Tony, how long do you think it'll take you to set this up? And when you do, how long do you think it'll take you to run it for part? And I've been really accurate on that. I've always padded it up just a tad so I would come in under, and then and then somehow they were getting the parts and they said they were making money and doing it but i don't know
1: if that's working in my shop what about you Bert? (laughs) you know i again i i think you hit the nail on the head you said you kind of skirt a fine line there and uh, you know the only if you go too low you'll always have work but then you could go out of business too so you definitely run that risk but you you skirt this line like you know i'm not saying you can't get you know rich or you can't make money in manufacturing but It's tough because while we're like the base of the food chain, you know, everybody, everybody wants to make money off of us. Mm -hmm. So it makes it tough because, I mean, it seems pretty rare that people will come to you with an open budget or an open checkbook and say, we just need this. So get it done and whatever it costs, it costs. I mean, sometimes that does happen, but it's not, it's not like the majority of the time, I don't think.
2: Do you ever ask anybody that asked you to quote something just straight up? Do you have a target price with where you want to be on this?
1: Yeah. Um. Actually, ever since I had talked to you about quoting, um, I started Sorry. doing that more. <laughs> um. No, because I think it's, I think, you know, to have some transparency with like a buyer that you're working with is really relevant. Like in, in how you confront and approach them about it makes a big difference too. Like, If you say, like, hey, do you have some target pricing in mind or whatever, like, they'll either share it or they won't. Like, it doesn't hurt to ask a question like that. So if they say, like, no, or if they say, well, yeah, but I want to see where you come in first. Or sometimes they'll just be totally transparent and they'll tell you. And Mm. then it's like, well, fuck, that's great. Like, I wouldn't have known if I didn't ask. So, um You know, I don't know. Uh, I've had people come to me with like asking for a quote on stuff and they do have target pricing and I can't meet it because it just doesn't make sense for me. So you don't want to kill yourself over it because, you know, like I said, if you do quote stuff too cheap, you'll have too much work to even physically get done. Even if you wanted to bring other people in to do the work, you couldn't afford to pay for them anyways.
2: Yeah. And then you find yourself in a particular situation where you have all this work and now all of a sudden you're Delivery times are failing. You may have excellent yep. quality, but you're not getting them their parts on time. And so now they feel they've overloaded you and something that might be a perfect part for your shop, you're going to miss out on because they're going to send it somewhere else. You know, even yep. though I've quoted a lot of parts for Parker, I've had maybe two buyers in the past that say, hey, you know, they, I think they call it, Jody might know what, I'm um, probably not going to say it right. But procurement mm-hmm. program or package is where they say, look, we're going to use this many a year. And this one and this one, they're a family and we're going to, you know, our target price is right around here. And those to me are the best types. I mean, I get excited when I see those because for one, they're showing me up front what they're going to need and how they're gonna how much they're going to pay for it. And so it can either be like, hey, I can dive into this and see what tooling and material is. Or I'll be like, hey, there's no fucking way. It's, I'm not going to waste your time or my time. You need to go somewhere else with this. But, you know, you guys have seen the exhaust tips that I've been making for the last four or five years. And this is a really interesting story because this guy has been in the same town as me for 20 years. And I never knew this. And he's been having those made in China. And I might have even told this story before. But one of the coolest things that ever happened is when he brought the sample part, the tip and the insert and said, look, both of these are being made in China. I love to have them made here. I'm going to be totally honest with you. This is what I'm paying for this part. This is what I'm paying for that part. Why don't you take a look at it, see if you can make it for this amount. And he goes, so i tell you what, I'll even include the amount of shipping that it takes to get a thousand of them from China to here. And you can include that in your cost. And then after you get a material price and how long it's going to take you to do it, if you want it, it's sure. But this is how much I'm paying. And and I know I know everybody can't do that. Big companies and stuff can't do that. But I mean, when like you say, when you're transparent and open about what the wants and needs are of them and you and what your capabilities are. It simplifies the whole thing. Some of the most frustrating stuff for me is when I ask those questions, like, well, how many of these do you do a year? Or, you know, where are you at on this as far as pricing? Are you happy with the person that's doing it now? Or is this a brand new part? It looks like the print says it, the first time this was made was like in 87. So I know you guys have been using them for a long time. And when they say, oh, just do the best you can. I like, <laughs> well, What's that mean? <clears throat> Are yeah. you trying to get it cheaper and make yourself look better? So at your job, you like looking good? Or, I mean, I don't know all the angles and the ins and outs of that. That's really when, gray area for me.
3: When they do that, you almost feel like they're just price checking their current vendor. You know, Very they're true. Not, they're Very not true. really considering having you do it. I've had that <clears> happen <throat> before. And it's like, you know, you get that vibe at the beginning. You're like, oh, do I really want to put all this time into you know specing things out and quoting this and getting material <laughs> prices and things and then you do it and then you just hear like a you know oh thanks and then the, you'd never hear back from them that's kind this of is,
1: annoying this is another fine line you're talking about because like to do like an accurate quote i mean depending on the type of stuff that you're quoting too it requires like a substantial amount of time on your end to you know kind of put this estimate together um yeah. especially for production stuff jody like you know cycle time if you if you're off by you know i don't know 30 seconds on like 10,000 parts like that's a big fucking deal yeah. but if they're just price checking you and kind of tire kicking like how are you supposed to know that i mean that's why i think that the transparency with their buyer is key i mean unfortunately you may be transparent but they may not be like being transparent with you so like i always try to not spend too much time on quotes uh but sometimes like if you really want the work like i'll try to put a little bit more time into it and it's hit or miss i mean i i guess the idea is that you're hitting more than you're missing but it's uh that's a it's so it's so tough it's there's so many factors that go into it and actually if you're listening you should probably just watch that video that titan put out about quoting because that's really all you need to know (laughs) (laughs) boom <laughs> I, I just, I, I just wanna, I just wanna back the, I just wanna
0: back the delivery truck up a little bit here. So hang on. So, so Tony, when uh, yours, actually yours is a great example right now because, so your guy that's in the same town as you with the exhaust tips. Yes. So What, you know, he, he already had a supply, and, mm-hmm. uh, what was his main driver? to come to you was it for price or was it for quality or was it for stability of delivery what, what was his I'm, main driver
2: i'm gonna go with quality and i'm gonna go with there's a lag when you do work with china um so my my cable rail guys do work with china and it's like when you need something tweaked or you need something fixed you can't just drive three minutes over to the other guy's shop and say, look, see this problem? What do you think about it? I mean, there's a long lag. Yes. And so those tips that I do in my shop, you know, I the it's how I profile it and the end points, it's tapered. Well, there's four holes on the other end that where it actually slides into the metal exhaust part and they screw it together. Well, over in China, when they're no. locating it, Sometimes the tip is pointed down to the ground, sometimes it's pointed up, sometimes it's pointed sideways because all they were not doing correctly was getting the four holes were in the same place every time. Oh, mm-hmm. if, so if it wasn't if hole it hole wasn't hole correctly hole? orientated. Yeah, exactly. And was so, there like
1: a location call out on the print for that, or was it not on no, the print? It's just, it's just visual, but
2: you want it pointed out and you want it to look cool. You don't want it <laughs> pointed up like fucking like little space scooter, or, you know, they're <laughs> down right. to ground. But I mean, they just couldn't get it right. And so when he came to me, I would say it was for quality and for convenience of, I mean, because that escalated into more work. He's oh well, while you're at it, can you do these brackets over on the mill? And well, fuck yeah, we can do it. And it's just, and i think it was convenience and he is a mom-and-pop shop also and you know it's he
0: wanted he's an old school dude so he wanted to bring some of his shit back home i believe right That's but, cool. but but that is cool and and one one thing as well that i i think a lot of which is a big misconception that a lot of people really still believe that you know you can get things much cheaper out of china when actually if you go to a local manufacturing business that's close to where you are, you'll be surprised at the price that you'll be able to get that it's a reasonable price and you'll get a good delivery. And I think you proved that Tony by saying I do good quality. I can price this where I still make money. Yeah. You get your product on time and it's going to be better. And like, I think a lot of people don't who are trying to buy things that want to like more than one or more than 10, they like instantly go on to Alibaba and, mm. and, and go, oh, I have to go to China. Well, actually you should go down and, or look in the yellow pages or white pages or Google or whatever, and just look for engineering shops around you and go and see people like yourself and say, Hey, how much to make one of like some of this, because mm. you, you'd be pleasantly surprised. I think
3: Yeah, yeah a lot I, of times people
1: I feel like are really willing to work with you.
3: I mean, he also got lucky going into Tony's shop too, because Tony has machines that are, you know, perfectly suited for a job like that. You true, know, if, if he if if he called around and the only shops he talked to had, you know, two-axis lathes with just a tailstock and a three-axis mill, like there's no way they can make those things competitively no. or efficiently. That's, that's but he very he good somehow point, happened to to find, you know, Tony's shop. And he's got machines that are just absolutely ideal for that part. And yeah, so I think yeah. it's on, on you know, it, it's going to be on their end, too. If they say, you know, oh, it can't be made competitively here, it's like, well, how much homework did you do on it, you know? Yeah, that's
2: a good point, Boomer, because, I mean, yes, I could do it on a two-axis lathe and take it over to the Haas, but I wouldn't be able to do it for the price he needed it at.
3: No. And, it I mean, it would be... Yeah, it'd just be you know stupid to do it that way, really. But yeah, and you know how Jody, there's there's no way you, there's no way you could make money doing it that way.
2: No, I think his number one reason was for quality. And you know, just go off on another little tangent here too. You guys have seen the truckloads and truckloads of that cable railing shit that I take down to Oakland, big parts and small parts, small parts mostly. You know, twenty, thirty thousand at a time. Well, I mean, in the beginning. They were having those made overseas and they were cranking them out and getting shit done. I mean, that's all what they're all about is just keeping things going full speed. But some of the holes would come back into the studs drilled off to the side. Some of the holes were breaking out, coming out of the studs, you know, and they would just they would shit can those, obviously. But the biggest thing was the biggest concern to my customer was. Say the part came back and it measured all right and the hole was in the center and they're assembling it, and they're sticking the cable in and they're crimping it and they're going out to the ocean and they're installing this on some rich dude's deck. And then a a year later, he calls up and said, hey, man, all that shit is rusting. And they're like, what do you mean? It's rusting. It's 316L. <laughs> no, it's rusting. Come out here and look at it. They go out and pull the samples, bring it back, do an analogy. And it's not even fucking 316. They were using whatever they could find over there to make these studs. Yeah, and it, that's was one, the stud. it was 136F. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they did the big old timeout. Let's get a Tornos. Let's put it in our bay. Let's fix this problem. Let's start making thousands of these day and night and then they started getting vendors on board and i started helping and other people started helping and we got all back on track and yeah it was i mean some i mean they have found a good place over there that can still make some of their parts and package their parts and they come back complete but you gotta watch man i mean when they run out of shit they will not say yep yeah they won't call you up and say there's gonna be a delay. We're out of cable. They're just gonna find whatever they can find, stick it in their crimp bit mm-hmm. and ship it. Yep. There's so, no accountability.
0: No. So 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 we're, we're, so 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 there's obviously there's different levels of quoting that we're talking about now, isn't there? There's there's the guy that comes in and says, I need one of these. Mm-hmm. Then there's there's a guy that comes in that maybe is trying to start their own business and say, Oh, I want to make ten of these. And then there's a business that already exists. Say, hey, I would like you to make five hundred to a thousand of these. And then there's your big corporates that come in and say, we need this. And like you said, you know, th- there are there are essentially five levels of quoting techniques that have to be oh, deployed f- for this mm-hmm. to work, which is I- which is is this is why it's incredibly difficult because you're right. Like what you said before about being competitive on that particular part, because you've got the correct machinery for it, for that, you know, like when we talk about the exhaust tip and and, and that, but you know, if a guy come in and said, okay, I need this, uh, a die mold made and and really it's a, it's a full five axis part. Yeah, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to one. You, pro- I mean, you currently probably wouldn't be able to do it because you don't have the right machinery for it. Or if you did, it would take so many hours to make that every other part part of your business would suffer because you're trying to make this one part, and therefore exactly. you know that you're trying to price it accordingly. I mean, this is what we talk about this minefield of of quoting, where you really want work, but you've got to make sure it's the right work for the type of machinery that you have. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, I,
2: between the four of us, you guys, I sent you that sneak peek of that one part that a guy shot me um, a couple of days ago, and he thought of me first to help him out because it was he's in a pinch for these. They're going to another foreign country. But he was just the time and materials for that part. I looked at that part, and I'm like, holy shit. I go, first of all, does this part bolt onto that part? No, it doesn't. It's all one piece. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, I... I don't have the actual equipment in place to do that. I could make this happen with several ops bouncing back and forth between my Akuma lathes and the the Haas mill with the fourth axis. But then again, Jody, I, I, I had to call him up and say, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I said, I'm one dude with 10 machines that are running right now with a helper. I don't even have a chance to set down. And even, you know, begin to fathom how many ops there are in this. And you're in a time crunch, you, you're going to need to take it somewhere else. And, and when you're talking about different levels of quoting, you know, I'm still looking and shopping around for some high-volume screw machine work. Because when I talk about quoting things and being too cheap, I feel usually that I'm too cheap. But the one thing that I've seen that you can make money on is the screw machine part that when the quantities are high and it can run unattended, um They'll crank out some money and they'll do it fast, and that's one yeah. thing I'm really fortunate with is with my cable railing guys like like we're gonna provide you this screw machine stock that's you know it's just all ready to go. You pop it off the box, you set the guide bushing once, and you run twenty thousand parts and here's what we're paying for' them and deliver them this money in a box and I mean that's like a dream job, and I really appreciate those, but it's like no i, I had a guy send me a part that's military and said, quote this for me." We want eight to ten thousand. Okay, quantity's good, but we want it heat treated and we want it lubed and we want it mm-hmm. marked with a heat loss. So now I have you all these outside processes, and we want heat like I don't even haven't used a heat treater in fifteen years. I don't even know which way to go, and I don't. <clears throat> you know, you, you have to reach out to them, and they have to say, well, we're going to charge you a lot, charge you this many, and and where do you find this lube that's supposed to be sprayed on this shit before you ship them? So. I tried to be you know, totally open and transparent with the, the buyer and said, look, I can make this part for you and I can ship it to you the way it is. But I said, as far as these outside processes, I don't have anybody in line to do this. I could shop around and find it, but I'm not going to get back to you overnight with this information. And I would say, I mean, you guys have probably seen this too. The last five to 10 years, quoting used to be, you know, if they sent you a quote, maybe you have four or five days to look at it and get back to them. But everybody's doing this, you know, just in time or no stock or no inventory on the shelf. So when they send you an RFQ, if you don't get back to them by the end of the day or the very next day, then they pretty much consider you not interested. And yeah, that's, forget not the it. Way it, yeah, that's not the way it used to be, but I think pretty sure that's the way it is today.
0: Sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're, we're, we're definitely a little bit more sheltered from that type of. Um, oh, it sucks. Really yeah, uh, we we sort of we say you know we give three days turnaround for you know quotes, but admittedly we have massive customers that 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 we're working with you know we purchasing right. offices and yeah, like I say that 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 part is is we're definitely sheltered from that here. You know, we don't we, do, we tend to not have unless it's unless there's inquiries from Australia, in which case they're normally for breakdowns of machinery. And they say, hey, we need this bronze component. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what's the when can can you do it by such and such? And and they're the ones that we just find that it's quite difficult. Well, I find it difficult to sort of provide a, an accurate quote when really it's it's all about the material in the end and the time. You know, it's just on how much you want to quote for your time. I agree. Well, what's your guys' thoughts on, Albert, do you see many of those that come across, or
2: maybe you too, Shane, all of you, those quotes that come across that say, please quote 200, 400, 800. I mean, you know, I really don't know how to change my price between the two, the four, six, and eight. All I can do is say, it takes this much material to make 200. And it takes this much material to make six and eight. So I'll send my request for materials like EMJ or somebody I said well how much for 8 bars of this 10 bars and 12
1: bars I would say so- honestly I would say shop rate I think that's a huge thing I mean if you're if you're a production shop and all you want is production work and you you're only interested in quoting things that are you know like 10,000 pieces or more your shop rate is not going to be the same as a shop that is maybe making, you know, 10 pieces of this or 20 pieces of that, uh, in my opinion, you know, or, and it depends on the technology you have too. Like if all of your machines are, let's say twin turret, twin spindle bar fed machines versus, uh, you know, like a two axis lathe, like, again, you're going to bill out differently for that stuff. Because yeah, just that's what I mean, technos- my, my
2: question was how, how do you break up the difference between two, four, six and 800? All I ever came up with was the price difference I got between 10, 12 and 14 bars it usually isn't very much. So it might change a dime on the, you know, the quantity difference. Do you ever, so I mean, I, how, I, how do you do that?
1: I put together a uh, very early on, like a spreadsheet that kind of factors in like a lot of these things. So like material cost, um, Uh, I can estimate my cycle time, my programming time, my setup time, and like um, I can put a shop rate in there and then it kind of and then and then the quantity. And so I'm kind of putting all these factors in and seeing how it kind of plays at the numbers. And the the spreadsheet has kind of evolved like over the years and it's not perfect by any stretch, but I feel like it gets me kind of in the ballpark of things. And that's a good idea, actually. I mean I'll send you the spreadsheet if you want to see it. Um I'd you love know, so like your it. your programming time or your setup time, I will amateurize over the the run quantity of the parts, right? Yeah, because then I'm giving somebody like yeah. I'm giving somebody one price. It's just it's just <clears> I like to think of it as like the easy button, like this is how much it costs. And then if they ever come back with a rev change, you've got that built in there so you can reprogram it. Would you know, you say
2: that this the spreadsheet is magical. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> jody knows what i'm talking about
1: <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't feel magical <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> Damn.
2: i would love i would love to see it though i would really enjoy coming up with something like that because i instead of just let asking hank how much he'd do them for six or eight hundred i I'd get some random numbers out of that dude
1: you know and then the other side of it too so like i can like i'll i'll start kind of from the top so like i'll enter in like my material size I'll mm-hmm. enter in like cut length if I'm saw cutting it. Um, then I'll enter in like the bar length. So if I get a full length bar, if I get a remnant, and then I can enter in the material price for that. I could enter in a markup for the material depending on like how long I think I'm going to carry it, right? Like if I order material and it takes me a month to order a job, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're, you're carrying that money for your customer. So like you should be marking uh... your material up
3: at least,
1: like a little bit. Um, and then I'll, you know, then I'll put in my programming time. Um, my, and this, these are all estimates too, obviously. Um, you know, if there's any special tooling that I need, like, um, you know, something, something special that might be job specific, like a thread gauge that is kind of like an off size or maybe, uh, a custom set of collet pads or soft jaws or something like that, a fixture that you've got to build a machine, like kind of all throw it in there. And at the bottom, I've got a section for like any outside services because that shit'll kill you. Like, yeah, um, mm-hmm. anytime somebody kills it, whatever, doesn't it? Keep shooting whatever, you know. Do you want to mark it up? Do you want to leave it? You know, you know what I mean. So you can yeah. kind of run it a bunch of different ways, basically. But it's a good way to kind of like organize all of this stuff instead of just shooting a number from the hip. Because I don't know about you, but I fucking hate doing that.
2: Yeah, like, I do too. And you a know, quick what, way to shoot yourself in the foot. You touched on a really good point there, too. I mean, people that are listening, as far as like you're saying, if you need to buy something that requires you check it with a thread gauge, I've had to do that. Or if you needed some thread gauges that were used to check parts before plating, so you needed pre-plated thread gauges, which are even more expensive. If, yeah, you can, if your, custo- your customer is willing to work with you and you get like a, non, a one-time non recurring charge and, and, and the, the, hopefully… By doing that, and they pay for those gauges, then you're hoping they're going to come back with the repeat orders yep. because you already have the gauges there. You'll never use them on anything else as long as you yep. live. So you're hoping that that you know it kind of ties you guys together a little bit closer. It's like, look, I'm going to have these gauges made. You pay for them; they're yours. They go in the cabinet. We hide them. Then nobody else touches them. That's <laughs> it's a good deal. I got a question too, uh, and I, and as a, to all you guys, it's like. For, in the beginning stages where if somebody asked me to quote them apart and it was like a, a two-inch bar of aluminum and I really only needed three-quarters of that bar, not the full bar, I was actually only charging them for the amount of material that it took to make their parts. But yet that rim sat on my shelf for four years. So then Katie's all, well, shouldn't you just be charging them for the whole freaking bar because you had to pay for it and you made their parts out of it? It's not our problem that you didn't use Yeah. All of us to make their parts. So, what do you? What's your thoughts on that?
1: I, I think there's two schools of thought on that. I think so. Like with uh, Alro and EMJ and a lot of the like material companies, a lot of times you can like look up remnants and they'll have remnants. So, like sometimes you can snag a remnant, um, or if let's say you only needed two thirds of a bar to do it, mm-hmm. um, you know, order two thirds of a bar, um, but charge them for the two-thirds of the bar. Otherwise, if you can't do any of those things, I would say if you need two-thirds of a bar to do something, I would say charge them for the full bar because that's just kind of like the cost that it costs you to do that. Like like Katie said, how is that your responsibility? Yeah, you know what? You're
2: right because half the time, if you need two-thirds of the bar, they're going to charge you a cut charge to cut that two-thirds of the bar out anyway. Right, you might so cost that a lot of them. All right, might end up costing more than just taking the whole bar. I don't know, or close.
0: Yep. Mm. Yeah, we're we're in a slightly different boat because we because we obviously make our own material. You know, we oh. we would say, hey, so you know, we will say, go hey, this bar? well, no, <laughs> that we, you know, we 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 sort of you know go down into you know you might say it's we call it like a C class bar where mm-hmm. it's not the it's not the best. Exact size you could possibly use but it's something that might be stored in the yard and then there you know And then you go to like a B class bar, which would be pretty close But you might you know if a customer wants us to make X amount of parts from it There'll be like a 500 kilo minimum run size for it to work Oh, so, you know, so that's like 1100 pounds or whatever and and then and then for like the a class bars you know, customers aren't generally ordering like a hundred pieces there. We're talking thousands. And then from a quoting perspective as to add into your magical spreadsheet, uh, but, you know, we would then have what the recovery of material would be as well. You know, you got to get down to that level because we're essentially, you know, because we are making our own material and we are keeping the scrap and then remelting it. We can offset particular costs by doing that. So, you know this this vertically integrated like factory that we have should make us in theory pretty competitive in any bronze market but it you know mm. i'm always surprised when sometimes that isn't the case and you think well hang on you know we're actually making the material how can we not how can we not be winning particular work and 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 it could be that it's not actually priced it's just because of delivery you know we're, ah. we're in the, you know we're you know our, no matter what we do our delivery time is going to be 6 weeks no matter what you know if uh. if we get a job today and i start it today and you know you're ordering it uh, you know, of course our market is 90% overseas it's going to take 6 weeks to get to you no matter what uh. stop the podcast well, in this, uh, in this times of need, I feel that all four of us here have some very big words of wisdom which will assist with everybody's day. So um, I think we should start with you, Shane. Why don't you give us your pearly words of wisdom?
3: Go. Uh, I think, you know, right now, just stay home, look out for you and yours and, and uh, you know, everyone's going through it. It's not just you. That's, that's very good. Tony, don't
0: let your dick run your life. <laughs> I think that's, that is That is actually, that is a really, really good words of wisdom. Not quite relevant for women, but, but never, nonetheless, it's good good words of wisdom. Albert.
1: Uh, if you are going the speed limit in the left lane, uh, get the fuck out of the way. Here, here.
0: That's very that's really good.
1: We got deliveries to make. Unless you're over with Jody, then you're in the wrong
2: fucking lane, right? Or wrong? I'm left. not sure. What? No, you're on the you're on the correct <laughs> side. What should? What if you're doing the speed limit? What do you do? What do you mean?
0: What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, you doing need the speed limit. You need to get out of Albert's way. Where do you go? I live in New Zealand. We don't have multiple-laned roads. <laughs> That's gay.
1: <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> well,
2: I said it, I said it, I'm sorry, but that oh, is, back is... Oh, your back
0: is... you're going backwards. Right, here's my here's my, here's my... here's my... Here's my words of wisdom. In these times of need, I feel that everybody should have the ability to bake bread whenever they want. So please, only buy one bag of flour and a small piece of yeast don't buy 15,000 pounds of flour and all of this because you don't minute! Wait a
2: minute. He said words of wisdom. This sounds like Jerry Springer's final (laughs) (laughs) thought.
0: Well, maybe... My next
1: guest would be a man that thinks he's a
3: fish finger. (laughs)
1: You should put your recipe up for them, Jody. I still have your recipe. Yeah, yours I was going to
3: say, put up your ciabatta <laughs> recipe.
0: Okay, I will. I'm going to put up it's my. So good. I'll do yeah, it. do it. Do it. Or maybe actually, Machine Therapy Hotline is going to put up a ciabatta recipe. So yeah, there we go. For that on the post. And
2: then the people that make it, they should take pictures of what theirs turned out and what it looks like and how it The yeah. ciabatta yeah.
3: challenge. Yes.
0: yes. That is a yeah, challenge. That is a stay-at-home Brilliant. challenge.
3: That's a good one. Yeah. We'll brilliant. post the recipe and we'll announce the uh, challenge. Okay. That's great.
0: Mm-hmm. But until then, let's get on with the podcast.
2: Hey, Jody. Yo. You remember that one time when you came to Ukiah and we took you to that A-class bar and that bartender didn't have a front tooth? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> That's when she was hot, wasn't she? <laughs> what was was that the same bar that had the that the guy that was dating the cougar come as well? Yeah, was that, yeah.
2: that was that was the A class bar, exactly. <laughs> what was the what was that guy's name?
0: <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> Kevin was a weapon. He uh
1: <laughs> He was he a legend in his own mind.
0: He sure was <laughs> a legend in his own mind. You're absolutely right about that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Uh, actually, and also, uh, just just I'm just changing, because there seems to be never any logic to what we talk about anyway. But like,
1: <laughs> What do well, you mean?
0: <laughs> I, I met a guy, and I think I passed on the details to you, but uh, he's down around the bottom of Lake Michigan, and he's in the automotive industry. He's got oh, a big yeah. shop. And Jeff is the guy's name. Now, he... The way he quotes Jobs, because it's you know we're talking about mass repeats. He doesn't. He literally quotes the price of a part, and but the the lock in <coughs> is that the company, whoever he's dealing with, will lock in that he will lock in that price for that company for like I think it's four years, and he says right. What I'm going to do is I will make, I will buy a machine. I will guarantee you that you have, you will have the same price for the next four years. And his pricing structure works on that. You know, because he's, he's making millions of parts, that each of each proportion of those parts goes into paying for his machine. But he's almost guaranteed that he's going to get paid for it. It was a, it was a, it was a completely different. I've never seen a quoting system like that, but it was working for him and it was it was really interesting to walk around his shop you know he had 50 to 60 dng all sorts in and around his shop and yeah i, I passed on the details to because i thought he'd he'd find it really interesting to go and meet him he was a good guy wow yeah yeah and i thought fuck i but i don't know how you get that opportunity to do that unless you really really you know you, you know what purchasing officer is going to try and lock in a price for four, four years you know i just i, I yeah. can't imagine someone would do that but yet here he is doing that and i guess I, just because yeah. of the industry maybe i've
2: heard rumor of way back when i first got involved with parker back in like 2000 that if you know you did work for them for a long time and was proven to be a really above and beyond supplier that something similar could happen they said that you know if we had a part we were going to use forever and ever and ever and we were locked in at that price that we would even help you if you needed another machine tool, you know, help you purchase that and and you would be making their part on it. I don't know all the details, but basically it was locked in. Like you said, we're going to make this mounting parts and it's going to stay this price for the next four or five years. Yeah. You don't have the capital right now to buy this other machine, but here we go. Well, I don't know whether they loan you the money or they signed it or how it happened, but… I don't know. I know when we first started, we had just the one LT, and we were making those bow bodies, and and they were going to send the, a lot more overseas. But I had a meeting with the gal, and she guaranteed me six months to double our quantity from 500 a week to a thousand. And it was a verbal. She said, "If you want to buy the other machine, I'll give you a, a, a verbal agreement that will give you six months guaranteed worth of work of the same part number." Which, it's kind of scary though. Oh, no, it is. It is. I mean, yeah, you're right. It is scary. But I mean, luckily for us, it worked out to where that six months worth of work paid for that second LT mm. right away. And, and and but I mean, I you know I, I wish that there was. I don't think that times are exactly like that anymore. But I, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Yeah.
1: I was I was saying, I don't it know, seems either. like there could be like a lot of empty promises that get made. You know, people will. Oh yeah, you know, when this goes to production, then you'll get. Thousands of these parts, or I promise to get you this and this and this, and I, I don't know i mean i've I've built relationships with some buyers that I do work with and stuff, and some relationships I feel like are a little bit better than others, but I don't know you kind of get just have to go off of like how it feels you know like if everything that they've done to date has panned out or they followed through with all the things that they you know said that they were gonna do, you've established some trust there, you know yeah. but if anybody- walks in the door and he's like well here give me a price on six pieces of these and if you quote it good and you do them good i'll have fifty thousand of them for you to make for the next six years like i mean that sounds a little sketchy yeah luckily
2: luckily for me this was a buyer i mean it was a a lady that we had known for a little bit and she's the one that got us on board with doing the one part number and massaged around some certain numbers and stuff for us because i had been working in a prior shop that supposedly they had on file a non-compete form that I never signed, but somebody wrote my name down on it. So I couldn't be doing the same part numbers as the parts that I'd already done. So she took a part number from another shop and gave it to me and moved that other part number to their shop. And, and so I had some faith in her. So when she told me she was going to give me six months of this, and then I needed to diversify and, and learn some more of their components versus just these valve bodies, I, kind of, I believed in her and, and we rolled the dice and, and luckily it worked out. But you're right. I mean, Who's to say that tomorrow her boss said, no, nope, scrap that. This project's gone. And, you know, I mean, what's she going to do? Well, I told Tony. Well, it doesn't work like that. I mean, it yeah, is exactly so.
1: Yeah, nothing is forever. There's no, I mean, I don't want to say there's no promises. But, you know, if you can get something in writing or get a contract, I mean, that obviously helps.
0: Right. Yeah. But still, that's yeah, not absolutely. even 100% solid.
1: Yeah. True. People can withdraw them.
0: But I told you, like, I think I might Discussed on the podcast a while back, but I was on a flight from Chicago to LA and I was sitting next to this lady who was a purchasing officer for, I forget what the company was, but she had been to a purchasing officer conference where they talk about tactics and strategies to screw price down. Like that's remember, that's their job. Like you got their you got this relationship with these people and sometimes they don't even need you to be like machining things or, or, or pricing things less. They just, it's like, a, they just do it because they're told that, okay, the overall on this entire project now, we want to reduce prices by 5%. And if you do that, you'll get a bonus of blah, 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 blah. And she was explaining all these things, you know, like she said, the biggest, the biggest thing to, for these guys was When people ask for a quote and then say, "Okay, we want this, said, the the best thing you can do is to then not contact the person you're asking the quote for again. She said, because ultimately someone will, you know, if you put a price in and then you and then you say, hey, uh, how's my price going? They know that they will probably be able to get a better price out of you because you have contacted them again
3: first. How fucked up is that? Oh, that's I believe how I would feel if, if I was in their position. You know, it, it just shows that you know you're you're lacking confidence in your quote, or you're hard up for work, or something. Yeah. I think it yeah, just yeah, yeah. you know kind of shows some sort of vulnerability, and then they're going to exploit that. Which yeah, you said that's their job. It is exactly. it is, but,
0: but but on the other side is you know you know as as a company quoting, you also you would like to be able to request feedback so that if that opportunity comes up again you can rethink about what you're doing so it's, it's a double edged sword isn't it you go okay do you try and make the the initial contact to 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 find out how you've done or do you just ignore everything completely until they contact you again and and you have another go
3: yeah that's a really yeah, good point i Any think notes? i think it it just comes down to relationships and that's you know that's something you know something that keeps coming up here is having that relationship with the buyer. But as we also talked about in this day and age, those relationships, a lot of people don't seem to value them anymore. Yeah. And I they, agree with you know, they just I, want
1: I, to I agree. I, I found not to to interrupt you, man, but I, I definitely think you're right. And I, I found that buyers at and maybe this is a generalization buyers at bigger companies uh, tend to kind of treat you like a playing card a little bit more, you know, if oh, you, definitely. Yeah. It's like that big company mentality. Like, okay, well, if uh, you know you don't want to work with us, or you're not willing to work with us, there's you know 15 other suppliers right behind you that that do want to work with us.
3: At the other shop, we had a customer, and um, they were a huge name, big name, and so you know, of course, the management and the owners and everything were like, you know, we need to get in good with these guys, and it became quickly apparent that they're thing was if if you got something from them they were going to wait till like a friday thursday or a friday and then they were going to call and say we absolutely need to move up the delivery date and if you can't do it well then we'll just cancel the po and they just <laughs> kept doing easy. that and kept doing that and it was just like can we just stop dealing with these guys because that's you know they're basically yeah definitely yeah and i mean we we see it still with a lot of, a lot of customers that, you know, they're working on very tight deadlines and it, it makes, you know, I, I really don't have much input on the whole quoting side of it because a lot of what we're getting on the job shop side is stuff that they've already sent out to 10 or 15 other shops and they've all no quoted it because it's, it's complex, it's hard materials, it's, you know, one or two pieces and they need it quickly. And, and it basically comes down to, Hey, if you'll got, if you guys will make this, just give us like a number, and uh, you know we'll give them a number. And it's always okay, great, no problem. We're sh- we're overnighting you the material. So you know it, it's on one hand it is kind of nice because you you know you can you don't really have a whole lot of competition, but on the other side it's like it's all it's always really fucked parts.
1: Mm-hmm. Do uh,
3: any of you guys do work for any
2: companies that they? Re- and it's like written in their manual a yearly cost reduction, even if you've been doing the same part for 10 years. Yeah. How do you, how does that, how's that possible? Because even if <laughs> I do have a good relationship with my buyer, my cost of carbide is yeah. up, the cost of oils is up, the cost of yeah. getting rid of chips and oils is up, but yet they want a yearly cost reduction. And I'm, when I ask them a couple of times, they're like, well, you've been doing this part for this long, so you should be able to improve your process and make things a little bit faster and save us money. And when you do, it looks good in your favor and you get to keep
0: the part and we don't have to
2: go try to shop it, it that around. Can yeah.
1: Sometimes, but it doesn't it's, it's not always the case.
0: No, no, no. But you do have to you do have to be careful of that because it comes back to this whole tactic as well. You know, even though it's written in there, you have to say that there will be a point where you go, do you know what guys? I still want to supply you this part, but this is not financially viable for me to make this product anymore because I'm not making actually anything from it. So why would I bother? You know what I mean? Like that's. Yeah. And I agree with you, Jody, but you guys, I'm not, I'm I'm not interrupting, but I'm I'm, I'm trying to
2: catch this. What's here. You're a huge outfit and you guys can say that, but if you take me and Bert and we're like, look, it's to the point where we're almost tired of doing your shit for free we can't keep bringing this shit down. And I mean, maybe it's just in my mind. I would be scared that they'd take that shit and yank it. And there's another one of my high runners gone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, but what, a, but what is a high runner if you're not making any money from it? Like yeah. You're better than, you, you're Wait, better than the to try and, you're better than to try and use your time to, to build up another relationship with someone else. And that's, no, it's hard. It's like, you know, it's like breaking yeah. up with a girlfriend and you know what I do to that. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we do true. know
1: what you no, did. It's true. There is a so actually, um, I wanted to say I wanted to say two things here. Uh, sorry, Albert, but did you catch that little thing he just dropped?
2: What he does to his ex-girlfriends?
3: Yeah, yeah, we got it. We Stop know, on, we man. know.
0: It's just a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> <laughs> All right, carry on. Carry on.
1: Um, I had. I had one, this is like, well, so I've got one customer. They send out something sort of like that every <laughs> year. And it was like, it's more of like a cost analysis. So it's basically an opportunity for you to requote a part or all of the parts that you make for them. Mm. And uh, <laughs> it's. I think it's nice that they do that. But to be honest, I rarely have time to deal with it. And I had uh, like this lady that was, she was just bugging me about, you know, am I going to get to this? Am I going to get to this by this date? And I'm like, lady, like, I don't know. I'm so freaking busy that I don't. Do you want me to make your parts? Or do you want me to get back to you with a requote, which is probably going to be a higher price? Yeah, that's
2: what I tell him. You don't want me to requote quote this shit. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: you know, I did have a, a, a buyer. He's no longer but with, with that company. But he was with the huge company, Parker. And it's like he would... He enjoyed our quality, and and we made a relationship over the years. And he actually drove up to the shop and met us and knew what we were doing. But it's like, he's like, hey, I need you to quote this part and do the best you can. And we provided the material. I'm like, all right, cool. So I quote the part, and he's like, yeah, you're not bad, but you're actually 4.8% higher than what we're used to paying. So why don't you try again? Talk to you later. Bye. So uh, No, go-
1: why don't you just pay the price that i want because if you didn't want to work with me you wouldn't have fucking said anything about it
2: okay calm down albert but what <laughs> i'm trying to say is that he wanted to
1: put this car in my shop and say it's
2: like ten thousand pieces and he knew we needed it so he's like so me and katie go back and when we look at our price and then she does the math because i i can't add and she'd do 4.8 percent less and then we would come in you know, maybe a, a dime or nickel under that. And then the PO would come across and we'd get an order for like 10,000 parts that, you know, something that we needed, something that we could make money off of. And it mm-hmm. was something that was eventually going to go overseas anyway. But I mean, what my point was the relationship with the buyer that was willing to like, nope, that's, he wouldn't just didn't say that's not good enough. Thanks anyway. He was trying because they're not allowed. Some people, their philosophy, they they think they're not allowed to tell you What they're currently paying. Maybe some of them aren't. And that's why we were talking about target pricing here earlier in the podcast. Some of them can be transparent and tell you what they're paying, but, you know, old school philosophy, I don't think that they were actually supposed to. And so the fact that he didn't tell me what they were paying, but he did a math problem for us to figure out, we were smart enough to figure it out, I thought was helpful. And it did turn into a pretty good relationship over the years. But, you know, I just miss people that are willing to work with you in, in different types of ways. But I felt that that was the way that he was trying to help us out.
0: I wonder what would have happened if you had sort of split the difference. So instead of reducing it by four point eight percent, you only did it by two percent. I wonder if you still would have got it. That's that's a good question. I don't know whether we were insult the dim or if we would have gotten it like you said. I don't know. What there was so let this, this just hit the, the the questions that come through on the post. So there was there was the one question here from B Class Adventure. Well, first of all, we said reaming in a lave, question mark. <laughs> oh, I laugh. Um, so it did said uh, he'd be more interested to see who properly back costs the job to see if the quote was right. I mean, ha- how often do you do that? What what that actually mean? So let's just you know how sometimes you might get a job and you you. You know, you've invoiced for a job, so of course you see the price for it. But do you know really the true cost of what it is to manufacture that part? And do you think you got it right? I think that's what he's saying. Oh, I got you. You know how you go, hey, it's cool, like sending out an invoice and going, brilliant, I'm going to get paid. But it, you know, have you really got everything in order? You know, like have you factored all those things? And I guess this is where you're. The, the spreadsheet that, you know, the magic spreadsheet that we, we keep sort of alluding to may come into play and you can go, OK, well, I factored these things in, you know. Oh, damn. I, I actually what I didn't factor in was, yeah, I did have to go and buy uh, a, a size 22 Acme threading insert, which I hadn't quoted properly. or
2: <laughs> You know what I'm saying?
0: like there's yes, I do.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'll interrupt you right here. Just for just out of luck, because God is watching down on me, I got another order for fucking thirty-five more of those. Did you? So yes, I will make some money on them motherfuckers. Finally, yeah, oh, he, yeah, he. Yeah, they only wanted the ten or twelve or some shit like that, and I gave them fourteen. Like, well, we didn't order this many. I said, well, you know, you, you won't put the extra two on your shelf. Well, I guess. And then all of a sudden the next day, like, I'm going to send you three more bars. The customers want all these. I'm like, fuck yeah. But no, I get what you're saying. I mean, that's a good point. And maybe you guys have worked in a shop. I don't do this in my shop, but I've worked in a shop where you had to actually go when you got the job traveler and you get ready to start this job and you guys quoted it two and a half hour setup and three hours runtime. So you go and you log in and you scan your barcode and you're in setup mode and you get the setup done and you run back to the login machine, you log out, you log in on runtime, you run your parts, and then you run back to the scanning machine, you log out on runtime, it's an inspection. So the guy sitting in the office is looking at all this shit and seeing about all the allotted time that it actually took to make versus what you said it was going to make. I think that's a fancy way of figuring out if you actually made any
3: money or didn't make any money off of it. Have you guys dealt with that before? Yeah, we use Job Boss, and it handles all that. And then we can actually we have our tooling cabinet set up to where you have to enter the job number when you check tooling out. And so then you can go to that and enter the job number, and it'll say, you know, here's all the inserts or end mills or whatever that were used on that job. So we'll and here's what they cost. So we can take the the cost of tooling and add that into Job Boss, and then it'll actually tell you well when you made you know, on this, on this, uh, PO for 50 parts, here's what each part actually cost you to make. Wow. That's kind of cool. And they Mm -hmm. actually do it in, um, in inspection inspection has, has a spot on the traveler that they log into for, for first article and for final. So, I mean, yeah, it's a whole thing.
0: So here's, here's a different question. So that or or, or as statement. So this is from Pat at Old Boys. It says, I use an open book policy with my customers. You, in capital letters, I think he meant you, tell me what you need for it. I'll tell you if I can make that happen. Blind quoting is bullshit and hurts the machine shop and the customer. Most of my customers love this approach and they appreciate the honesty and openness about the whole process. A few customers have a stick up their ass and want me to blind bid still and then piss and moan because it's way too high or way too low. And rightfully, I think they are (laughs) asshats. Open book policy has won me more customers than anything else. And this is the final part of it. I'd rather make a thousand bucks a hundred times than a hundred grand once. Is that a trick question? I don't even know if it's a question. <laughs> What's the answer, Albert? Uh, Put that into your spreadsheet and tell us if it's correct. Six. Six!
2: <laughs> That's
1: weird, because mine, six. comes, mine six. says 69. <laughs> yeah, I think – oh, you're right. I forgot to carry the one. Yeah, it's 69.
2: Yeah, it's always sixty nine. Nice. No, he's got a good point there. I mean, yeah. yeah, blind quoting does suck. But being honest, I think it depends. It all depends on the people you're you're bidding for and what their policy is. I believe. I believe they have to play. Some of the bigger companies have to play the same certain game. And then if you're, you know, somebody else that wants some parts that's the different philosophy,
0: then I think it's all kind of a pot-free of people that you're dealing with. Mm. So there's, there's another one here from Marvel Machine. It's quite a long-winded uh, answer to the question we put on the MTH post. So also, if you are listening, go onto the Instagram on Machinist Therapy Hotline. You'll see the, the post that's got the quote in piece on there, and there's lots of comments on there which we suggest you read through because they're really quite interesting. Uh, so Marvel Machine says, I quite a lot of individual parts. I get packets. Some parts take 15 minutes. Some take two hours. I have a base minimum price of $75. Outside of that, I'm pretty good about looking at a print and knowing how long it will take, which, look, most machinists will always back themselves on that, I think. Um, And then he goes down, 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 and it says, so I look at it on a week-to-week or month-to-month basis. If I've spent $3,000 a month on material, supplies, tooling, and do 15 to 20,000 dollars that month that's a good month in my opinion then i don't get upset over that one part i lost 200 dollars on so i think what he's saying is that out of all of the you know out of all of the jobs that he's getting in through his shop he's going well if i look at the big bigger picture holistic view i lose some on here hopefully i gain some over here i i see what he's saying i i i don't
2: know I kind of got lost in the whole fucking question, to be honest with you. I think you got to look
1: at it as a case by case basis. You can't just look at it. If it is like a, the bigger picture of the month because you've got X number of customers and they're giving you X number of parts, you know? And so I, I get what he's saying, but you, you know, to be efficient with this, I mean, you have to break it down to a part by part basis
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not looking at the big picture. you I don't think you're really necessarily going to learn, you know, okay, well, why did I come up, you know, short on that job? You know, what can I learn from this? What's the takeaway from that? Because there should always, if you're losing money on something, there should always be some sort of takeaway. And, and I think it, it kind of minimalizes the impact it has to, to just roll it into the big picture and be like, well, at the end of the day, you know, I, I came out ahead, so let's not worry about it. Mm. True. You know, I that's, that's
2: kind of interesting. You know, when we were doing different types of work after we were trying to get more diversified with Parker, we had some of the buyers say, hey, take a look at this part and I need you to quote me eight of these. And it was like eight parts that needed to run on the twin spindle lathe. And we're like, well... I mean, okay, if any of you guys out there listening that's ever set up a twin turret, a twin spoon allade with live tooling, you gotta put it on indicate all and it's not something that's gonna happen super quick. Yeah. So in a nutshell, we came up with this like look, you need to order a hundred pieces minimum or there's gonna be a five hundred dollar straight off the top setup fee for any part that needs to run on one of these machines. So then they start looking at like, okay, so well five hundred bucks divided by my eight parts plus a little bit of runtime or if i'm you're going to make me a hundred and the setup times rolled into it then how much am i going to pay for the hundred and i would say nine times out of ten they would take the hundred piece minimum order versus paying the five hundred dollar setup fee for the eight parts but not always so i don't know if it had to do had to do with how fast they needed them or how much they needed on the shelf or if it was for somebody else, I don't know. I don't know all the mix, but at least that way I was able to cover my ass and not go out there and stand in front of an LT and settle up and and, and make 150 bucks for a few parts, you know what I'm saying? But
0: that's, that's, that's really – so, I mean, that's that's actually a really great point because what you're saying is that, you know, the lock-in is actually a key proportion of your quote, isn't it, with your customer because yeah. let's just – let's say uh, a business comes to you and says, right we've got this family of parts. These are the Mm -hmm. quantities for all these parts. We want you to quote on this. And then, so, you know, there's already a key factor that you've got to ascertain with the with the customer is, okay, is this a package that I'm quoting? Or am I quoting all of these individually? Because potentially, if it's a package, there might be out of, let's say it's 10 parts, there might be two parts in there. You go, I'm probably not going to make any money on these but the rest of the parts I am going to make money on. So therefore the package works and it means right. I get to work with the customer. Now, you know, if, if you don't have that in place, it might be that you quote them all and go, okay, well, this is this, this is this. And then you put your price forward and then they go, okay, we want you to only make the parts that we, you're not going to make any money on. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> That's usually how it works too. <laughs> or, or even on a package, you might say that the quantities that you've presented provide me with the opportunity to make this much money, but then they go, okay, we're going to give you the package, but guess what? At the moment our volumes are low. So therefore we're only going to, we're only going to order a quarter of what the initial package was worth. That, 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 that you got it's almost like you need safety mechanisms in place when you're doing big sort of package quotes like that. You just said big package. I oh, know. <laughs> I instantly thought of that. Have you seen that? There's that, that big dude with the massive oh. junk. That's, uh,
1: that's oh, that one down. that Travis was drawing? <laughs> yes.
0: No, I missed that. <laughs> He's a big dude.
2: It's some
1: It's some <laughs> meme going around right now. It's some, some big black guy with his, his fucking...
2: I, out. I did see that. And the pencil was kind of drawn it in slow motion. I thought he had, yeah.
0: a, <laughs> I thought he had a tumor down there. <laughs> it definitely had a tumor of some description down there. <laughs> it's not <laughs> a tumor. I saw, I, I saw another one. And it said, and it, said uh, it had that guy, but he was standing behind Tom Hanks and his wife. And he said, Tom Hanks is doing fine. He's in great hands. <laughs> oh shit oh shit indeed holy moly okay Okay. well guess what we've reached the end of episode 24 um I don't think we've shed any light on how to quote (laughs) better but I feel (laughs) I feel like we at least we had the discussion about what we all do not so perfect true uh, so again thank you guys for being here and listening to us ramble on uh, remember if you've got any questions for us you can put them on the Machinist Therapy Hotline Insta DM or you can email us at Machinist Therapy Hotline at gmail.com you
2: know uh, what Jody maybe yeah. we should ask if there's anybody out there listening to this podcast and our our attempt to talk about quoting, and you are a buyer working for someone, and yeah. you would like to talk to us and share some of your insight. We would love to hear from you, or maybe even have you on a little mini episode. I think I'm yeah. not trying to speak
0: speak out of text here, but we're looking for all the help we can get, motherfuckers. So yeah. bring it on! <laughs> if you're a buyer, get in, get in, like get in touch, and we will put you on the podcast. And yes. uh, we will scrutinize the shit out of you. So not to put you <laughs> off, but that's just what we're going to do. <laughs> okay. So until next time, everybody, thank you, Shane. Thank you, Albert. Thank you, Tony. And thank yeah. Listen yeah. Listening. Cover thank your mouth. whoop,
1: whoop, 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 whoop. whoop, whoop.